Hi, this is Matt Briette, President and CEO of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. In this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. You see, one of my favorite speaking opportunities every year is to be part of Pennsylvania Free Enterprise Week. It's held each and every summer at Lycoming College in Williamsport, Pennsylvania for hundreds of high school students from all across our Commonwealth. My talk, Capitalism Works and Capitalism Doesn't. That's Capitalism with an O. Well, continue listening to understand exactly what I mean. I used to be a history teacher. I taught middle school, high school, and even some college, and I'd love to teach about the early settlement of the United States, uh, particularly Jamestown. And what was so interesting about Jamestown is that what would be the seed of a new nation that championed capitalism would originally organize itself along an idea of from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Of course, Jamestown long preceded his time, but that was the political and economic philosophy of Karl Marx. He said, from each, according to his ability, to each, according to his need. And so what would become the first permanent settlement of the United States actually began in a state of communism. Everyone would labor and put the fruits of their labor in a common store, as it was called. Then they would distribute things equally. Uh, The problem was in no less than six months, nearly three quarters of the colonists had died. Well, as uh, frankly, starvation was a big part of that. They did not have enough people producing sufficient food to keep everyone healthy. The challenge that I had as a teacher of eighth graders was to show why this kind of system would fail, why the common store system would not work at the end of the day to be able to provide for all of the needs of this colony. So the way that I uh, taught my eighth graders is that uh, I started grading their tests as if I was Karl Marx himself. Well, what did that mean? Well, the next time my students took a test worth 100 points, I made the students who earned 90 points surrender 20 of their points to a classmate who had scored only 50. So the one who performed well would uh, subsidize or surrender, give 20 points to uh, the classmate who didn't do so well. I said that, you know, this was only fair, that instead of only one student passing with a high score and another failing, that we could have both students passing with a score of 70. Of course, my high-performing students hated this new system, Uh, while my students who didn't do so well, they, of of course, uh, loved it. So we would talk about this in class of what would happen if I continued grading tests in this manner. And even my eighth graders understood that uh, eventually the high performers would lose their incentive to score well, well, because they would uh, lose the ownership of the points that they earned. And they even understood why the poor performer would have even less incentive to work uh, harder because, well, why bother if you were entitled to someone else's points? So I was able to help my students understand the failure of this kind of economic system and how that led to the demise of uh, uh, this early settlement. Well, I helped my eighth graders recognize the problems in this kind of a system. 
It's unfortunate many adults in America continue to embrace it. Uh, Folks will argue that uh, capitalism has failed. Uh, They say that capitalism uh, won't take care of the poor. It won't provide medical care to the sick. It can't do the things that uh, we need to do to take care of others in our uh, community. Now, I'll be the first to admit that capitalism uh, has shortcomings. It is certainly not flawless. It's a man-made economic system. But I would argue that despite its imperfections, capitalism is the very best anti-poverty system in the history of the world. So before we abandon capitalism, we need to better understand why we should prefer it over every other economic system man has ever devised. And there are actually a number of reasons uh, that we can make this argument, but I want to focus on two in particular. The first one is that it works. It works. The facts of the matter are that no other economic system has done more to feed, clothe, shelter, heal people around the world than has capitalism. Uh, This is just a fact of history. You can look at all of the economic systems, and capitalism has done more to take care of people than any other economic system in the history of mankind. So that's the first reason. The second reason, and in fact, I would say even the more important reason that we should prefer capitalism over other economic systems is that it is morally right. Now, when I say it's morally right, I don't mean this in a religious sense, but I mean it in the sense that it's the only economic system that fully respects our inherent and inalienable rights to life, liberty, and property. Now, you've heard these terms before, inherent and inalienable, life, liberty, property. But what do I mean by inherent and inalienable? And I would also argue this was a radical statement Uh, at the time that it was made. Well, everybody recognizes that this comes from our Declaration of Independence and that our founders were in fact bucking the conventional wisdom of the time. The rights that they were declaring uh, of life, liberty, and property, they said came to us from our Creator, that they are inherent in us as human beings. And they, they were arguing that these rights did not come to us from a king or a queen or any other governing body. And so they could not be taken away from us by a king or queen or governing body, but they were in fact to be protected by government and that they were inalienable, that a government could not take these rights away. And this was, in fact, a radical statement at that time uh, in our history. Today, we take them for granted. But it is capitalism ultimately is the only economic system that respects these inherent and alienable rights, respects our dignity, our individuality as individual persons. Uh, And it does so because it is the only economic system that relies on the use of persuasion and voluntary exchange. All the other economic systems rely on coercion and force, but capitalism relies on persuasion and voluntary exchange. How? It relies on the ability of people to convince other people to enter into voluntary relationships, relationships that are mutually beneficial rather than using compulsion against another's will. Uh, Another way to to look at this is that there are really only two ways anything can be exchanged, either peacefully or violently. Uh, A peaceful means of exchange basically says, if you do something good for me, 
then I'll do something good for you. So, for example, when I placed an order at Dunkin' Donuts this morning, I was, in effect, telling that business that if it does something good for me, i.e., gives me a cup of coffee, then I'll do something good for it, i.e., give it my money. Both of us view this as a win-win. Now, we don't always think of that uh, relationship in that regard, but it is the type of peaceful means of exchange that characterizes capitalism. And the only reason people voluntarily enter into such a relationship is that they both believe they will benefit from the exchange. Dunkin' Donuts is taking the opportunity to obtain something that it wants more, my $2, in exchange for something it values less, a cup of coffee, because apparently they've got a lot of coffee there at Dunkin' Donuts. But exchanges can also be done violently. The violent means of exchange says that unless you do something good for me, I'll do something bad to you. Of course, this is the operating principle of burglars and bandits, but it's also the operating principle of socialism, fascism, and communism, or what I like to call these politically driven economies, capitalism. I spell that with an O, so capitalism. But before I talk a bit more about capitalism, I want to talk about one very important aspect or characteristic that separates true capitalism from all these other collectivist systems, and that is private property. In addition to persuasion and voluntary exchange, capitalism is characterized by its respect for private property. Now, private property is critically important. An individual is ultimately motivated to work hard because he or she can retain the fruits of their labor, our property. Now, if you think back to my hypothetical example in redistributing test points, the incentive to perform well on a test is the fact that you get to own your achievements. But what happens if you no longer own the fruits of your labor, if they can be taken away from you? We know you will lose your incentive to perform or you will find a way around the system. Now, neither of these uh, creates a prosperous society. So we don't want to hinder people from owning the fruits of their labor. We've seen what has happened when you do so. Now, most people have heard of Adam Smith, uh, the father of modern free market economics. Uh, he's most well known for the concept of the invisible hand. Now, Smith argued that society as a whole benefited and improved materially when individuals pursued their self-interest. He said that the benefits are not necessarily seen, but are done by an invisible hand of free people pursuing their own self-interest. Now, a lot of people say that, well, this, this is paradoxical, that society uh, can't benefit when people pursue their self-interest. In fact, the anti-capitalists uh, say that this is precisely the problem with capitalism, is that it encourages greediness and, and selfishness. But selfishness and self-interest are actually not synonymous. In fact, if you think about it and ask yourself a question, what highly unselfish acts are absolutely necessary if an entrepreneur or businesswoman or man wants to be successful? Well, the answer is that if you ever hope to turn a profit in your business, you will have to wake up every single day and identify the needs or desires of other people. 
So in other words, you must provide a needed or desired product or service at a price that consumers are willing uh, to pay. And so far from just concentrating on your own selfish wants and needs, it's successful entrepreneurs and businesses uh, that are focusing on others. And only when they meet the needs of others are they able to fulfill their self-interest. So capitalism is what encourages people to meet others' needs. In fact, you could summarize capitalism in one simple question is, how have you served your fellow man? Yet despite the incentives and proven benefits of capitalism, many people still believe that we need a little bit of wealth redistribution and a little bit of government intervention into the marketplace. They argue that government should play an ever-growing role in the economy and our everyday lives. Otherwise, Americans will be ill-clothed, underfed, badly housed, and deprived of medical care. And they argue, and kind of going back to our test score example, that we must take some from the haves and give uh, some to the haves less. Uh, now, they may not be arguing that they take all 20 points, as I suggested in my example, uh, but they are arguing, let's take two, three, or 10 points and give them to someone who didn't earn them. Uh, the contention here is that capitalism is inherently unfair and immoral. Uh, so we need a little bit of socialism mixed in with our market economy. They want to argue that if we just combine the best elements of each, we can solve our problems. Well, there's a real problem with that, and that is that a little bit of government intervention never stops. It never stops until it becomes a lot of government intervention. And the result is that our daily lives are increasingly infringed upon by well-intentioned but burdensome government bureaucracies. The result is that uh, political decisions uh, made in Harrisburg and Washington, D.C. Are, are increasingly taking the place of voluntary relationships in our local communities and in our state economies. Um, and honestly, it's, it's sort of easy to see why this is taking place, why people are uh, attracted to more government intervention into our lives. Because without fail, whenever the economy is not running smoothly, uh, the public generally demands that the president or governor do something. Uh, many people want government to solve our economic challenges. Uh, but we have to remember the government has no money of its own. It only has that which it first takes from people's paychecks and from families' budgets. Uh, the only thing, ultimately, that government can do is reach into the pocket of one person to pay for this or that or to redistribute to another. And unfortunately, we've got a lot of politicians that are more than willing to oblige in this kind of a, a forced exchange. And uh, this is why people have become less trusting of the so-called invisible hand. And it's easier in their mind to empower the government with the visible hand of capitalism, because then it looks like we're doing something about the problem. So because we tend to prefer to see the economy work, uh, Americans have been increasingly embracing capitalism and rejecting real capitalism. Uh, today, this intervention of government into our daily lives has been so gradual that it's actually often difficult to see how much we are losing our freedoms. Uh, here's just one example. Uh, in Pennsylvania, the average worker was forced to labor from January 1 
to late April just to pay his local, state, and federal tax bills. Uh, Government uh, in Pennsylvania, at just the local and state levels, are going to collect and spend over $120 billion this year. That's more than $10,000 for every man, woman, and child in our Commonwealth. And eventually, as government at all levels continues to take more of the fruits of our labor, the incentive to work will either be dampened or, at the very least, more people are going to seek ways to circumvent this politically driven system of wealth redistribution. Individuals will, and in fact increasingly are, rejecting responsibility for their own lives as the government is uh, ready to give them food, housing, and medical care. And what has happened is that this has led to a destructive attitude of, let the government do it. When we start thinking this way, uh, unfortunately, more than our economy is at stake. It includes our freedom. So, The decision before us today is ultimately not just a choice between economic systems, between capitalism and capitalism. In fact, we can't compartmentalize or ignore the impact of these systems in our everyday lives. Uh, Choosing between the two of capitalism or capitalism is a decision about whether or not ultimately our rights to life, liberty, and property are still inherent and inalienable, or if we're going to give these rights back to our government to determine what amounts we're going to enjoy today. I'm truly afraid that there are some, and too many folks that are in political power today, some who want government to be the arbiter of these rights once again. They want to go back to pre-United States thinking Uh, where we empower politicians or bureaucrats to make these decisions for us rather than making sure we protect the rights of individual Americans. Now, there's good news in this. And the good news is that we haven't lost our capitalist economy, and we don't have to. We don't have to lose respect for our uh, individual rights to life, liberty, and property. And we don't have to allow what is the freest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world to go down in the history books. But it's ultimately up to we the people. It's up to we the people to help preserve and restore America's foundation of freedom. We the people must educate ourselves and re-engage ourselves as active citizens. Fortunately, uh, the words of Samuel Adams, one of my favorite founding fathers, his words are still true today as they were when he said them in the 1700s. He said, quote, it does not take a majority to prevail, but an irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. Now it's up to us, we the people, to be that tireless minority, because only then will we be able to sustain a quality of life in America that has been unmatched in the history of the world. So join with me in not only defending capitalism, but becoming a strong advocate for it, Capitalism and its promises have been a failure in the past, and they will fail us in the future. If America is going to continue to be the place that provides the greatest prosperity, the most freedom, and the biggest hearts and generosity to the rest of the world, it's incumbent upon us to continue to defend those inherent and inalienable rights to life, liberty, and property. 
You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.